My advice is if you're doing something and it's working, don't sign to a label. Just keep doing it. I was appealing to a creator community. Things were going. I had momentum in my direction. And what I thought was, hey, the label's going to add fuel to the fire. The EP thing didn't really work out because it was six songs all at once. And it was like a quick spike. Everything's very quick. The first week you're hot and then there's someone else coming out with something. I went back to the label and was like, how about we just do a song a month? leading all the way up to the album and then hit it. It was pretty much a a hard no. Totally respect that because they have their business model and I had mine. No regrets. I learned so much. I became a better songwriter because I worked with great songwriters because I was part of a label and now we had budget. But what we had going with the business model, sometimes when you have that fan base and, and it's working, you just ride it till it's not, till you start to see it naturally go like that. If you're making a ton of TikToks, but music maybe isn't your like strong suit or it's like you come out with less songs. Maybe you're good at doing a song every two months, but you're really good at TikTok. A label could be great because when you do have that virality, they can probably blow it up with the amount of funds they have. So Mm -hmm. to each their own, TikTok has this funny way of letting you get one viral one that basically it's like a drug. It like hooks you in and then you're like, ah, hunting for that (laughs) next viral one forever. Use the sounds that are trending, use the effects that are trending, I also watched what other creators were doing and what was working, and I'd go, okay, let me try my own spin on that. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book, third edition coming out later this year, this October, actually, to be more precise. Today, my guests are... Nefax Bryce from Nefax and his manager Ryan Sullivan from ATG. This was a very fascinating conversation. The headlines are uh, Nefax has over 4 billion streams totally independently across all the platforms. And uh, he got his start by releasing a song a week royalty free. We get into how he did that, what that actually means. He calls it copyright free. Um, and how that translated from going from from nothing to four billion streams uh, and and millions of monthly listeners, we get deep into the weeds of of all of that and and um, how the journey has been and, and what's happening next. This was a very fascinating conversation. Uh, everybody can learn from this, no matter where you're at in your career, and whether you're an artist or a manager or work at a label or anyone else, uh, we touch on all of it. Really great info here. Uh, listen all the way to the end, just gem after gem, super inspiring guys. Um, 
And uh, yeah, this was it, it flew by for me, and I, I know it will for you as well. As always, please like, subscribe, follow this podcast. However you're listening to it right now, just hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button. Please leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. However you're listening to this right now, please give us that five-star review if you're digging it. Uh, leave us a comment on YouTube. I love reading these comments. Try to get back to you. And visit Ari'sTake.com. That is the hub of everything we do. Get on that email email list, and that's where you're going to get uh, notified about all future episodes and the most up-to-date information on the new music business. Get on that email list. Find us on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter at Ari's Take. You can find me at Ari Herstan on Instagram and Twitter and all of that. All right, let's kick into the show. All right, guys, Ryan, Bryce of NFX, welcome to the show. What is up, man? How you doing? Yeah. Um, so this is really interesting. Um, you know, the headlines of uh, of four billion streams that that's what that's what kind of lead, welcomes people in. It's like, oh, I understand what that means. Um, but your journey to that is very, very different. And it's something that I I. When I was looking into it, I didn't quite understand the why in a lot of what you do or or really understand what uh, is going on. So I want to, um, you know, I want to get into all of that, uh, specifically the royalty-free aspect of it all. That's that's the that's the part that I'm like, man, I got I really have to understand what what is going on here and how that all works out. But let's step back because we're going to get into all of this. Um, I want to start back in the mindset of where you were at in 2017 when you started releasing your song a day and what was going into that. Because I think that's going to set the scene a little bit um, into uh, where we are now and kind of, uh, yeah, so so set it up, Rice, for me. And, uh, you know, Ryan, at any point, I, I, you'll probably come to the story a little bit later, but at any point, kick in when you need to. But yeah, Bryce, I'm yeah, curious sure. uh, from your perspective. No, 100%. I mean, 2017 was a pretty crazy time for me. Um, I was working in nine to five. And it was, it was like the worst thing. I hated working in nine to five. It was absolutely miserable. Where were you working? Um, and I was working. <laughs> I was like, should I drop this? Um, it was actually a really cool company, too. It's called World of Dance. They have a TV show now. Um, but I, I just didn't. I was, I was working like sales. And I just wasn't super super passionate about it. And I just would sit there at my desk on my computer all day long and and I was just miserable. And I I knew, um, I knew that I wanted to do something else, uh, with my life and I loved music. I always made music. Um, Hmm. and so I would come home every single day and I would work on music. I would produce a beat, produce a song. And it's funny because by 2017, I had kind of already been working on effects for a year. I was doing random remixes, hitting up blogs, getting constantly disappointed because blogs never accept your songs. It's like a shit show. It's, it's right. impossible. But yeah. um, uh, and so I finally I was I was working on music and I, I saw kind of Russ and he was doing really well on SoundCloud. And yeah. I was like, interesting. I was like, okay, and he's doing what? It's like before he started talking about it a lot. And I was like, wow, this guy is just, it's, he's just pumping out music. I was like, mm. nothing is overly complicated. It's a beat and his vocals and he's pumping it out. And, you know, if one hits, great. If one doesn't, he doesn't care, it seems. So I was like, I like that approach. That seems mm. manageable to me. But I had, I had to, I was like, but I got to figure out how to produce that quickly and write yeah. songs that quickly. Um, 
So I started working on that and I came home every single day from work and I had no social life for two years. I had no girlfriends, no, didn't go out, not, no friends, literally nothing. I was just work, came home, produced, work, came home, produced, work, came home. And um, I just got better and better and better at it. And then um, I was scouring the internet again and I saw this company, No Copyright Sounds, absolutely <laughs> killing it, crushing it. And I was like, this is really interesting. Like, why why are they having so much success? And I realized it was because there there was a there was a trade of value there. It was, mm. hey, you know, we'll give you music for free to use in your videos. What you give us back is just people watching your videos with our music and maybe noticing it, liking it, and going to listen to it. So I really mm. I have a business school background, but it's pretty, you know, they say don't reinvent the wheel. Just look at what's working and Mm-hmm. and go make your own of it. And so I very much was just like, I'm going to try to combine those two things mm-hmm. and see what happens. I completely understand both of those things. And I think together they would work really, really well. Sure. And yeah. And in doing so, I got really, really, really good at producing. I felt really in a pocket in my own sphere. I saw people were really gravitating towards the inspirational motivate. People needed a message to get behind. And, and mm-hmm. I was grinding in my apartment, trying to quit my job. So the messaging was like on point. I was just like, <laughs> fuck the world. Like I need to make it like, so yeah. I feel like it resonated with a lot of people where they were just like, yeah, dude, like that's how I it, fucking like, where were you putting these songs when you were releasing them at this point? Um, that's a good question. SoundCloud, so, YouTube, was you redistributing them officially to get them on all the DSPs or what was that like? So, um, I'll try to make this quickish but uh originally it was soundcloud and i was sure. doing because i was doing a lot of remixes and stuff because that's how i thought yeah. you get noticed and then eventually um we did uh, like a i did like a one-off re- um original with a label and three months later a check comes in the mail for a thousand or for 500 bucks mm-hmm. and i was like holy shit we're 50 50 with this label that means this song has made a thousand dollars in three months i was like that's real that's real fucking money. That's mm. crazy. Uh, especially getting 2000 bucks a month for, for my job or whatever, uh, basically minimum wage. And so yeah. that's when I decided to start releasing original music, music every single week. And I was like, if I can even just come close to that and make $2,000, I can quit my job and go full time. And that was, mm. to me, I had made it. That was the dream. Like mm-hmm. $2,500 in my bank account making music. I was like, I'm in heaven. <laughs> And you started making that just from putting your music out, just like distri- who were you using for distribution at the time? Um, so I did TuneCore because uh, uh-huh. it was just like ten bucks per year for a release, and I had money saved up. And yeah. you're right. So I I was launching on SoundCloud, and I was trying to get repost networks to repost the songs. And then um, there was a time where uh, I was doing the remixes, and like I said, and I was posting to Facebook with like those big titles. So I did like an Eminem remix, and I wrote the next Eminem, knowing that mm. it would kind of bait people into like mm. talk shit, but also, you know, and it created a little yep. bit of virality. So there was all these things leading up to it to where I had like 10,000 subscribers on YouTube and, you know, 10,000 followers on SoundCloud all before I started releasing original music, just from mm. remixes and kind of hustling around repost networks and, and stuff like that. And were you like grabbing that. this, uh, like the... royalty-free beats or were you grabbing uh, popular songs and making unauthorized remixes to them? That's what it was. I was grabbing like, I would do like, um, well, actually, what's funny is I would re-sing them. So, but sometimes I would change the words. So it it was like a quasi cover. Like the only one that that was, that wasn't, I took, um, someone had recreated 
the Eminem guitar riff and I took that and put it into a beat and then did that. And I was like, you know what? Okay. I need to not do that just in case because there was all sorts of copyright issues. And I also saw that, right. that copyright strikes was becoming such a, a plague to the internet community. I was like, if I could just figure out how to write original music and if people liked it, I would. The only reason mm -hmm. I'm doing covers and remixes is so that people click on the damn thing because they like, mm. you know, closer by the chain smokers. So here's my remix of it. Please right. listen, you know. So. so you started making original music. Now, were you producing this yourself? Yeah. So top to bottom. Okay. So you taught yourself uh, what were you using? Ableton or what? Uh, Logic? Yeah, I use Logic. So I like okay. it. It's all around from mm -hmm. producing to recording vocals. I think it's sure. great. But but yeah, I've been making music since I was 15 on a computer. Oh, so okay. it wasn't like gotcha. brand new. So 2017, yeah. I was probably seven years into my production career. And so I had a little bit of a background. So you're putting these songs out. Now, uh, we know, uh, and everyone listening to this, uh, I, I don't yeah, kind of glossed over it. And I want to I want to go back to that point of just like, I just started putting music out and boom, $2,500 a month. It's like, all yeah. right. <laughs> That right. that that's like almost uh, just under a million streams a month. How, that doesn't just magically happen. So what um, other than like uh, kind of the uh, clickbaity Facebook videos that you're putting out? I mean, what was the big driving force of that? Were you running ads? Were you just nonstop posting memes, hoping they would catch and get people to think about it? Were you on Reddit? Like, like get, break it down right. a little bit more. Yeah. So I. You know, it's funny, I glossed over it because it felt it was such a blip in the radar. It happened very quickly. But what it really was, was I had gotten, I wasn't making enough money yet. And I had gotten fired from my job because okay. probably because I was doing too much fucking shit on the side. But right. um, I got laid off. So I had two months where I was basically just like, oh my God, I got to figure out how to get, how to get in effects to make money. And so I did the copyright free thing, started releasing a song a week. And I was on my computer all day eating finding and emailing creators that I thought would like my music and writing um, individualized messages that are like, listen, I've got five songs out there, copyright free, but I'm going to put a new one out every single week. Feel free to use them. I will not claim your videos. You can make all the money off them. And it was a lot of really cool, you know, co no copyright sounds occupied the EDM space really well, but I was okay. making these like rock heavy instrumentation, like driven beats. And I was trying, and then eventually I would do hip hop, pop, all sorts of stuff to give people, you know, variety. But in the beginning, that's what it was. It was truly mm. just grunt work of sitting on my computer, sending 50 emails, hoping for one response each day. And what, and, what yeah. were you charging for these? Or you'd hit up a creator or an artist and say, hey, I got uh, a beat you can use. Uh, were you giving them the full like stemmed out version so they could use it for whatever they wanted? And and then what was that? Cause the pricing model was the business model around this? Yeah, there. so there really wasn't any business model. It was, I would just I would have a SoundCloud link and I would mm -hmm. say, hey, if you want to use the beat, you can download it here. They download the MP3. And if they threw it, uh, what was huge was League of Legends montages back then, um, 2017, different time. I, I see them every once in a while now, but more Fortnite and stuff. But okay. League of Legends montages just absolutely loved NFX and they took it on and they were using Fight Back and Rumors and all these crazy songs. Mm -hmm. um, just straight up the MP3. They would just throw it in the background while they're they're killing a bunch of stuff or getting like a a triple kill or something, you know, Nefex was playing in the background and you'd start to see in the comments, like, what's this song? Where do I find it? What's this song? And so that was cool. So when people would use your, your songs, uh, in their videos, uh, so I, we're talking gamers 
are this is like kind of pre-twitch but we're talking like youtube uh they're making game videos of themselves playing games and they're putting your music in there um was part of the agreement uh that they could use your songs uh is that they would credit you you know i they would always ask like should i credit you and i was like i that's greatly appreciated but if they honestly didn't want to credit me it's like I wasn't going to come after them or anything. It was just, okay. I was like, people, people will find a song. If they hear it and they like it, the comments will, someone will comment. Hey, this is the mm-hmm. by the way, he's my favorite cool. artist. So I wasn't like a hound for anything like that. I just kind of wanted people. I desperately wanted mm. people to listen to and hear and use my music. So I was just mm. like anyone and everyone just, just use it. So that's, I mean, you're putting out a song a week, which still, uh, I can't wrap my head around. I mean, it, it's, uh, and you're doing this all on your own without help. Um, how, especially with a full-time job, um, I mean, what's the, like, what goes into that in terms of the process? Like, how much time are you actually spending on each song to do this? Yeah, so um, at the time, he's no longer with me, but at the time I had a buddy who was working on music with me. And so okay. what we kind of we, we kind of did was like created like a, um, I don't know, like a like a system where, Three, four days a week, I was producing a beat, writing all the lyrics, and I was ready to go. Here's a song, you know, melody, everything is written, it's laid out, it's ready to rock, and yep. and the beat. And then I would bounce out that beat, and I would give it to him. I'd go into the booth, and, I, you know, hit it, let's record. And we eventually got better at it and got our settings and stuff, but I would just be sitting in this. It was built out of, it was a rectangle built out of PVC pipe and soundproof blankets, and then just a <laughs> microphone. And because yeah. it was a tiny apartment and I'd be screaming sometimes. And I was like, dude, I just hope our neighbors don't get pissed. But um, it was pretty nifty. It got really hot though. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I would just record in there and then he would work with the, the two track. He'd put the vocals on top of just the beat. We kept it super simple, super clean. Cool. Um, and, and so we were able to do it once a week. We kept it as simple as we could. So this is the kind of, a, I guess, a promotional strategy uh, that you made all of these. You call it copyright free. That's uh, technically and legally not accurate, but it's royalty free. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't actually give away that. Um, right. But I, I know what you mean. And it's it's great for SEO and great for YouTube searches. Uh, yep. And I understand that's how people are finding you. Um, so were these songs blowing up? Uh, because the gamers were using them in their videos or because just by the sheer nature of you listing these are copyright, quote-unquote, copyright-free songs and anyone's using them, just the number of people using the videos? Or what would you attribute to... I mean, you're doing this for, what, a couple of years, I guess, uh, a song a week. Or was it just the consistency? Did Spotify start giving you love uh, in playlists because of just, like, how often you're releasing music? Or what would you kind of attribute at the time, at least those first two years? Yeah, the f- so what was cool is I'd release a song... And like I said, I was emailing creators. I'd be, I probably emailed over 4,000 creators okay. across YouTube. Like it was an insane okay. number. And Are we talking mostly even, gamers? Mostly gamers, um, yeah. some vloggers, but really it was the gaming community that accepted me uh, more mm-hmm. than anything. And I, I never hit up like a Nightcore channel, but all of a sudden that stuff started blowing up and there was just cool. little niche pockets that would pop off. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest thing for me is you could see the direct correlation I would if I got a big creator to say like, oh, dude, your stuff is dope. I'm definitely going to use it in a video. I'd be on the lookout. And then 
you know, someone with like, they were, they were legit 400,000 subscribers uses right. the song. I would look at Spotify the next day and I'd be like, holy shit. That's like, it went up a thousand streams or it went up 2000 wow. streams and you do enough of those. And eventually the community just, I mean, if you look hmm. at the Spotify growth over time, there's no, like you had a hit song and then it's just, everything is just this slow mm. inch over two, three, four years. And it's crazy. It was really s slow growth, but yeah, that's great. I mean, you were doing the, the TikTok strategy before TikTok. I mean, that's the thing that drives uh, streaming right now, you know, is, is uh, we're so familiar with is just like the more people using songs in their videos uh, yeah. that directly translates to uh, Spotify streams. So, okay, so you're doing that for a couple of years now. Now I kind of I, I get it now. I understand a little bit more of just like, okay, how this was working, why you're going this route. Very creative, very smart. Um, did uh yeah n never heard of this before um and so then tell me uh the next steps when did you start stop the weekly um release and, and what was it after that yeah so uh actually got with uh ryan who's here and he's my manager and um another manager omid they're both buddies and they work together but we decided we were like it was getting towards the end of we didn't have the idea of a hundred songs in a hundred weeks. That was more of a, a marketing idea because I was on song sure. for like 78 and it was like, dude, I'm fucking burnt out. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, need a, I need a, yeah. yeah, I need a break. And, uh, it was like, yeah, but we can't just end on like song 79 or something. That's so weird. So <laughs> Brian and Omid came up with, you got, you should just do a hundred songs in a hundred weeks. That would sound yeah. really cool. It's great marketing. And so I was like, all right, let's do this thing. So, I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I got to the end of the 100 weeks and we had a big party celebration, 100 songs in 100 weeks. And then it was kind of this, you know, now what? What should we do? Um, and we decided to, we were getting some label offers and stuff. And so we decided to accept the label offer, go into it and slow down the song a week and try to focus on a couple big projects that we actually put some money behind and try to create some like radio ready type songs and see okay. what happens. Um, so that's kind of why the song a week ended mm. and why it became kind of a project based thing. Well, let's back up a little bit. And I do want to get to those label offers and what that uh, meant and, and the process changed. So uh, how did you guys meet? Did you say Ryan came into the picture? Uh, Ryan, tell me tell me from your perspective uh, how like why this got or how this got on your radar and why you thought this might make sense for you. Yeah. So um I was not a music guy by any means. I was a total sports guy. Um, went to college, did the business school thing, thought I might go into consulting or something. And then I ended up at Fox Sports in LA. Hmm. And similar to um, similar to Bryce, like it was it was a really cool job and I, I really enjoyed it, but I definitely, the entrepreneurial itch was not being fulfilled for me at all. And, and it was sure. still kind of there. And so it was funny timing because like everyone in LA who's like trying to figure out what to do next at that time, I was like, all right, like I need something different when I have my Tuesday, Wednesday day. I was working weekends. I was working nights, kind of like Kim mm -hmm. didn't really have a social life, didn't have mm -hmm. money to have a social life. And so I had started playing around with like starting my own like sports podcast or something like just to do something. Sure. And like the, the week that that was getting going, um, we have a good buddy um, that lived across the street from me down in Manhattan Beach at the time that had played baseball um, uh, with Bryson College. And so he was like, hey, come over to this party in my house. And so I show, I, I walk upstairs, that kid's like blacked out in his bed, just pass out. So I'm about to leave. And then for some reason I felt compelled to just kind of go upstairs and hang out. 
and I didn't really recognize anybody. And so I'm just chilling on my phone and I hear this kid tell um, his buddy like, yeah, man, like we're, we're like quitting our jobs right now to do music full time. And mm -hmm. so I kind of put in the conversation um, when I was in college, I'd thrown a lot of shows and kind of worked adjacent to managers and artists and thought that stuff was cool, but wasn't really like a thing. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, I sneak down to like go to the bathroom and I'm like looking it up on Spotify and I see like 40,000 monthly listeners. And I'm like, oh, these guys are famous. This is cool. And so, I, <laughs> right, and I listen, and I, I remember I listened to their, their last release called First Time that week. And I was like, this is so sick. Yeah. And so um, I went back upstairs and I was like, yeah, like, have you guys done shows? And we just got in this full conversation. Um, end up going to the bar down the street that night. And I just like, I very quickly, I love the energy they had. And like, you could tell by talking to B that he just had this like entrepreneurial vigor to him that like you would not expect to find from like a traditional creative. Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of, that kind of had me fired up. And so, and as this become a theme over the years, we tend to fire each other up very much when we kind of go <laughs> down these business rabbit holes. Nice. Um, but no, so I just, you know, I went home that night feeling like very inspired and, and just drawn to it. And so um, I ended up kind of being like, hey, like, you know, I'll, let's stay in touch, got their number. And then um, I'd met this guy that was friends with um, some kind of like off the radar A&R scout um, for an A&R Capital. And so I ended up um, kind of getting in touch with him, putting their stuff on his radar. Mm -hmm. um, and then the A&R ended up being interested. And then um, I had a guy booked shows within college that got acquired by an agency down in Orange County. And so I pretty much hit the guys up and was like, Hey, um, I want to cruise down on my day off. I'm going to take mm -hmm. a meeting on your guys behalf with this booking agent. And then let's link up and get drinks. And so I kind of just like showed up on their doorstep and bulldozed my way into their lives, whether they liked it or not. But, um, it was really cool. And, and just, you know, um, kind of saying, Hey, this, this is what it is. Like, I don't really know much about this, but I want to be a part of it. And then, you know, I just remember like, um, going out and grabbing that first beer with them, like it, it instantly just felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, whatever like this is. Mm -hmm. And from there, um, honestly, probably still the most exciting six months of my life was those next six months. Um, I just kind of came on, worked for free, would drive down on my days off. And every single week there was a new song coming out and, you know, a new KSI posted our, you know, used our music or, you know, our song had the biggest, had the most views that we'd had yet in a week. And it was just like a really cool thing to be a part of. And mm -hmm. like I said, like B brought that like entrepreneurial energy and fire where it's like you show up and there's a whiteboard and ideas are going <laughs> nice. up and like, this oh, is yeah. what we're doing. And, you know, and so, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it got started. And then to kind of just catch up to where he kind of left it off, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was really cool that the kind of coming from the outsider perspective of it, the timing was impeccable. Um, you know, I, I remember, uh, I think on an episode of The Bachelor, end of 2016 is the first time that someone had their job as influencer. And yeah. so like this whole influencer vlog world was taken off. And so his eye for understanding the idea of giving something to people for free, yeah. actually really being what would help drive value for us was genius. Um, and so like, you know, I, I'm not gonna say I completely understood that, but to the extent that I could, I realized that like the kid was just onto something. And mm -hmm. um, like you said, it was just, it was week over week growth. I mean, there was, um, the cool thing about it too is, you know, if you're doing 50,000 views first week on YouTube, about 50,000 streams on Spotify, you know, million streams, views total, million streams. And it just kind of grew like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember having a moment about two months into it where I kind of was like, dude, I got to be the luckiest dude in the world because I think I stumbled into something that's going to be like pretty substantial. Oh, like you just kind of realize, yeah, you know, sweet. yeah. So, yeah. um, no, so it was cool. And then the one thing he left out, which I think yep. is important 
is in between ending the 100 songs, 100 weeks and the label, um, another big thing that we did independently before um, touching the label situation is um, of the 100 songs, we took about the most popular 50 and we grouped them into four compilation projects that were kind of based off of vibe and whatnot. And that really kind of saw the streams amplify and whatnot too. And so um, you re-released them as a, as EPs or as albums. Yeah, essentially it was, it was okay. that with um, one new song and like a remix. Cool. Um, but it, it just, it was a good way to like, I think, and you know, B can elaborate on it more, but we definitely had to, like I said, tickle that itch of like, what if we went to a label and had more budget and all that and like went more <laughs> pop. Like, I think, we kind of used to have this joke of like, once a song hits 10 million streams, like we'll be famous. And then like yeah. rumors said 10 million streams, we woke up and we're like, shit. And so, <laughs> <Not> um, <famous. laughs> right. yeah. And so, so we had to tap it on that, but no, I mean, I, I, um, I think Bryce did a really good job of making sure that we squeezed every bit of juice out of the lemon sure. before we went into the label situation, you know? So there's kind of no, nothing was left on the table. Yeah. It was, that seemed to be the only obstacle because we never got, Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we ever got a single editorial playlist the entire time prior to the label. No, I don't think so. So no. let's let's jump to the. Um, you, you keep saying the label. Uh, who's the label? How did that come to be? Were you shopping it, uh, Ryan? I know you're not like you weren't. Uh, it didn't come from music, so I'm assuming the the music connections were fairly limited at this point. Um, what what is this label situation that you guys are referencing? So. We've been hit up by a variety of distributors along the way. Um, okay. Omid came on board a bit later, but he came with a really strong background and working closely with labels. And so that was definitely helpful. But um, Who's Omid? Um, so he's, he's the co-manager in the effects. Okay. Um, and so honestly, like the extent of people reaching out was we had a couple producers want to kind of sign us to them directly and it was mm -hmm. not the most ideal situation and then a couple mm -hmm. of distributors that wanted to make us go more urban and you're talking to a guy that came up on taking back sunday and blink 182 so that wasn't really his vibe yeah. um when you mean distributors so I, you're talking to are you talking about like uh are who do you mean like like empire um caroline oh, okay. like kind of some sure. of yeah like the more major distributors um but mm -hmm. I think for us, and we'd had a couple of majors reach out and take meetings. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the consensus was they didn't really know what to do with us. And okay. we were kind of content being in a space where we were just going to kind of keep doing whatever NFX was and not worry yep. about the box that people wanted to put you in. Um, and so the label that ended up coming into play um, was 12 Tone. Um, Steve Bartles and Doug Morris had just gotten, had just gotten going with it. Um, mm. you obviously can't listen to a single podcast with a big person in music without hearing Doug Morris's name get dropped. And so right. that was cool. And, um, they, they came in and seemed to understand that we wanted to kind of keep doing what we were doing. And, you know, they just, they wanted to amplify that. And, oh, so Doug um, Morris, uh, he left. Well, for those of you who don't know, Doug Morris, uh, was the CEO of Universal he went, then went to Sony, I believe. I mean, he's been been yeah. hopping around in the major label in the major uh, system for a while. And I, so, Twelve Tone, though, uh, he's currently heads Twelve Tone, but I, I'm not familiar with Twelve Tone. Can you break down what Twelve Tone Music Group is? Is it a major? Uh, is it under one of these? Yeah. So they so Twelve Tone actually recently got reacquired back by Warner, so it's not a label uh, anymore. But um, Steve Bartles had recently left um, Def Jam after running that and having some crazy successful projects. And so he teamed up with Doug. Um, and so they were under Warner and distributed through ADA. Um, okay. And they were pretty, you know, they had 88 Rising and Anderson Pack and 
right. and Lauren Daigle and a couple other cool projects. And so they pretty much um, just kind of came into the picture of, hey, for an artist like you that's self-sufficient, but is looking for a home and those budgets and that push, this is a this is a good place for you to be. Okay. And um, they came in with fantastic energy and really kind of connected with the guys. And um, I'll kind of let Bryce take it from here, but that's kind of how they came into the picture. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's that was my basically my entire experience. It was the first time ever working on projects and um, like group together projects. I was used to just week, 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 week. So yeah. I would write, now I wrote like 20 different beats that were like half finished with hooks and we would get together with the team and narrow it down to like six for the EP. So I was okay. just trying to make it more quality over quantity now and see how that kind of affected everything. Um, we did move towards a more pop sound, um, trying to get something more mainstream because now that we had a label backing us, we felt like, okay, with the budget, if something were to take off perfectly with our audience and some money behind it, maybe we can yeah. push to radio and do something crazy. And right. that was always the goal, right? We wanted to hear our songs on Kiss FM or something, yeah. A-Rock or, you know, whatever. Um, and it didn't work out that way, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, uh, I learned a lot. I worked with a lot of really good, really cool people. So, um, Okay, so you know that I'm not going to let you gloss over the it didn't work out like that or the label came and went. <laughs> I, I, we, this is the New Music Business Podcast. We are going to dig into what this means. So share whatever information. I mean, you're out of the deal. So uh, Ryan, break it down for me. What was the deal when you signed yeah. with 12 Tone? Uh, is this a is this an 82-18 split? Did they own the masters? Was it a one firm? Did they like give me give me the details of what this deal was? Yeah, um, we we got a good deal. We definitely things had to be on our terms to an extent. Um, everything that we asked for budget wise, to us it was a lot more important to have budget to play with to kind of make make this thing accelerate opposed to just putting money in our pocket. Um, okay. That's what we did. Um, the terms are very artist friendly. And what it does was, that it mean was a, terms were artist friendly? Um, most importantly to us, one EP, one album, no option. So yeah. we okay. got we we got to, you know, get our feet wet with an EP, record an album and in the more traditional sense and give that a shot. And if it wasn't mm -hmm. a fit moving forward, it, it wasn't a fit. Um you know, and just to break down to explain the no option meaning. So uh traditional major label record deals is you're gonna do one firm album and then they have seven to ten options and the option means that the label gets to decide if they are going to exercise the option so the artist could say after the one album is like hey guys i want out and the label's like nah we're not letting you go right. we want another album yeah. and they can do that for the next two to three decades um yeah. as we see that happening because if, if it's 10 albums and you can only you know turn in an album every two years which is part of their um you know typically contracts um then the label can decide if they want to release it or not. They don't have to. They don't have to accept it. And those are the options when somebody says, uh, you know, that's why you never want when someone brags like, oh, I got a 10 album deal. So it's like, oh, you just signed your death warrant. Like, you don't want <laughs> yeah. that. Like, it, so you, you want like it makes a lot of sense. What like one firm, no options. That's that. That's great, because at the end of that, you, of course, can renegotiate and you can say, oh, yep. you know, this is working. Let's do another one. Let's do one after that where it's more equal. Uh, you both can come to the table and say, yes, this makes sense collectively, equally, both of us, not the label saying we own you. And now yeah. you got to turn in seven more albums, uh, whether you like it or not, until we say you're released. And that's kind of what totally. traditional major label deals. OK, so uh, so it was, it was one EP firm, one album firm, no option. 
Um, I know Bryce hasn't cared about ownership in the past, so I'm assuming he didn't care about it now. Um, and so it was, was it more traditional in that respect? Now, was this considered who who is twelve tone under at, at the time? Was it under Warner? Yeah, they were they're under Warner. Yeah. Um, and so they, they went through they went through ADA. Um, so you know we were definitely. <clears throat> and the other thing that was nice about it too was the the post album term was not too long, so we we knew that if it didn't work out, that we could get back to doing our thing pretty quickly. Um, yeah. I'll let Bryce speak more of the music side since that he definitely went, you know, he went from hundred percenting everything to working with a lot of collaborators and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think for us, like on on just kind of the whole scope of the project, um, you know, the tough thing going in was we'd built so much credibility and trust in the in the um, the creator community that yeah. we knew that that no matter what we did, we were not going to be able to fully communicate that songs were not copyright free or however you want to phrase it. Um, and so that was, that was going to be tough going in. Um, but uh, you know, the, the things that we were excited, what we were excited about also ended up being what made things tough from the standpoint of, you know, we had budget to do these big expensive photo shoots and these crazy music videos to bring these ideas to life. And like yeah. all these things that we, we talked about doing, but um, you know, we learned lessons that a lot of people learn. Um, getting new music Friday or getting a couple playlists is not going to make or break anything with your fans. Mm. Um, I, I think we honestly underestimated the power of what we'd already built versus what was to be gained in terms of having a core fan base. Because if you go look at a hundred songs that are released by newer artists on a label in a given week, a lot of those songs aren't going to even touch a hundred thousand streams week one, you know, mm. and, and we, we came in with something that already had momentum. And so, um, at the end of the day, what, like I said, I think Bryce should definitely touch on the music side. Sure. At the end of the day, a um, bunch of fantastic people at that label with crazy accolades. I think the the disconnect was a lot of them had been around for a long time and had a much more traditional viewpoint on what an album, you know, how you roll out an mm. album and what that looks like. And Nefex is arguably the best case study for a a digital uh, single centered or single centric artist mm-hmm. of the last ten years. And so um, I think that was a square peg that was just not going to fit in the round hole, no matter how far you shoved it. But um, the bow that I would personally wrap on it is wouldn't do it any differently. I think we had to go tickle that itch. And I think that we learned a ton from it. And, you know, as we'll get to, are definitely in a um, better spot for it. And we appreciate all the people that we got to work with. So, well, so, so this is, uh, what are we talking around 2019 is when you signed? This, the was, this was 20, this was, um, Early mid twenty nineteen through end of twenty twenty, and you put out the EP and the album. Yeah, we put out the EP right as we went on um, uh, their first European tour, and then okay. the album came about a year later in uh, September twenty twenty. Got it. And when you say it didn't work out, I mean, I, I want what does that mean? Uh, you released the album, and uh, what does that look like when uh, it quote unquote doesn't work out? Was there disappointment? I, like, what does that, what does that yeah. mean? No, I mean, so my advice is if you're doing something and it's working, mm-hmm. don't, don't sign to a label, just keep doing it. Cause it's, it's working. And the problem was I, I was doing something that was working. I was appealing to a creator community. Things were going, I had momentum in my direction. And what I thought was, Hey, the label's going to add fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. Like Ryan said, it, it's a bit more traditional. It, uh, even when, even coming in with ideas like, hey, you know what? Instead of the EP thing didn't really work out because it was six songs all at once and it was like a quick spike and then just no one thought about us again for the night. You know, everything's sure. very quick. You know, like the first week you're hot and then there's someone else coming out with something. Um, so I, you know, I went back to the label and was like, how about we just do a song a month? 
leading all the way up to the album and then hit it. And it was, it was pretty much a, a hard no. Like we're going to do the, the label. We're going to do three singles leading up the best singles. And we're going to do it the way that we know how totally yeah. respect that because it's like they have their business model and I had mine yeah. and it, by it didn't work out is the goal was radio, like song on the radio, something big, um, something that took an effects to like the next level, like, you know, from 3 million monthly listeners to 10, 15, 20, that would have been like a successful, Hey, this is crazy. This, and that just didn't really happen. Our, our trajectory didn't really change too much. Um, if, if anything, it kind of, it, it started to level out because we weren't releasing a song every single week to a bunch sure. of creators at the same time. Um, more and more people caught on to the idea. They started they started doing no copyright sounds. They started doing copyright free individual creators. So it started to get more and more saturated while we're sitting with this label. And uh. so while we had something hot and we were at the very top of the community doing the the label thing, you know, we weren't allowed to release copyright free stuff on the side or anything. Right. Um, and it just kind of stalemated us until it was like oh man now it's a little bit more saturated than it used to be tiktok comes out starts stealing audience away from youtube so this whole thing we built sometimes you like ryan said no regrets i learned so much sure. i became a better songwriter because i worked with great songwriters because i was part of a label and now we had budget um mm -hmm. so i learned a lot and became better in that that area um mm -hmm. as a label artist but what we had going with the business model sometimes when you have that fan base and and it's working, you just ride it till it's not, till you start to see it naturally go like that. And then be like, okay, let's go talk to someone who maybe can revamp this. Maybe a label can revamp us real quick. Uh -huh. But but that's what I kind of mean by like, oh, it didn't work out like we had. Real quick, I wanna let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder and yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative and they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have, have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less-than-legit pub admin services. Well, 2Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances uh this is something that's very cool and if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front they can see how much your music has earned in the past i'm like all right we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years here's a check for 100 grand or whatever it will be and you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately they do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, they also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of 
everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. Hoped. So um, think- what was – oh, go for it. I was going to say, I, I think um, the big lesson for us too was, you know, you obviously, like, if you look at TikTok over the last several years, right, you, you've mm-hmm. seen people going from, if you just pay influencers to use your music, you'll see conversion, and then it was trends, right. and now it's much more, you know, wild west. Yeah. Um, you know, a year is a long time in this business. Like, B used to always say that when we'd talk or that, he'd be like, a year is a long time. And, and he set a culture very early on of like, we're going to try a lot of things and we're going to fail fast. And we're going to keep pushing. And, you know, I even like, you know, obviously song a week was a little crazy. And, and when we, you know, when we say song a week, we didn't mean anything got stacked up. We mean it would be Tuesday night before distributing. And we'd go like, oh shit, like we don't love this song and do some quick surgery and it's coming out. And so, um, you know, for better, or for worse, that definitely, we got used to that culture of like moving quickly, which I think we've reinstilled a lot now, but mm-hmm. um, man, the time went by so slowly when you're, mm-hmm. when it's like, Hey, this, this is going to come yeah. out in three and a half months. And yeah. all you guys can go do is like prep for tour, do a photo shoot and make some content. But, um, wow. you know, it, it, it just didn't feel like there's, and that's, that's not on any particular label. That's just kind of how it works when you're, when you're releasing, um, in that type of cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say if you're more of like a, if you're more in the camera, like you love making content, photo shoots, music videos, yeah. stuff like that, a label's probably your spot. I was so like, all I wanted was like music, 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 put the picture up, put the visualizer, just music. And so that maybe is where a label, if you're the type of artist that really interacts well and makes a lot of, like say, if you're making a ton of TikToks, but music maybe isn't your like strong suit or it's like you come out with less songs, maybe you're good at doing a song every two months, but you're really good at TikTok. A label could yeah. be great because when you do have that virality, they can probably blow it up with the amount of funds they have so mm-hmm. to each their own you know so yeah. w- before you signed to this label uh w- how many monthly listeners were you were you at two oh. i think i think two million ish um that's, i think i think, I mean, I think we're flirting incredible yeah that's huge. Okay, so so um, you your idea, right? Like you said, you're going to go from two million or so to fifteen to twenty million plus radio, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So okay, so you get out of the label deal, um, and you go back to song a week. Yeah, yeah. I just was okay. like, I was like, fuck <laughs> it. I know it works for me. I want to get the fan. I want to let them know. Like it's been two years now. I feel terrible. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to hit it hard again because I told them too. I was like. I should have just stopped a song a week for like two months because mm-hmm. I got rejuvenated. I just needed two months off. Like uh, after a hundred songs in a hundred weeks, it's not like I was burnt out. I five years off, you know, it was like two months and I was like, dude, I'm itching to make a ton of music again and put it out. So after two years, I was like, oh, I can't wait. I'll never stop. I'll just do a song a week till I die because I wow. just love making music. It's just, I'm passionate about being in the studio. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love to do. So yeah, just, it was like, Right, let's run it back. Let's do 
100 songs in 100 weeks again, see what happens, rebuild that that community. You know, there's new creators on YouTube every single day, new creators mm -hmm. on TikTok. So it's like, mm -hmm. let's rebuild that community. Let's let the the old heads that used to listen, let's let them know we're back and and see if it's if the model still works after all this time. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and this being the new the the new music business podcast, uh, I did want to say the most important thing um, when you're asking about how good was our deal with the label, it was a good deal because we had leverage. You, that's the number one thing is to build up as much leverage as you can be as self-sufficient as possible. Mm -hmm. Hey, I don't need you. I make X amount of money per month and I can live off that forever. I'm good. Mm -hmm. That gives you so much leverage as opposed to being desperate for that signing bonus or desperate for that money. You really, and nowadays you, you have the, the tools to build that leverage too. TikTok, Spotify, TuneCore, all this stuff. Right. So you, you evolved, were you, did you go back to TuneCore then after yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, so, uh, man, you must be uh, racking up with with hundred hundred and fifty releases times uh, ten dollars a year of release. <laughs> it's like, man, District Kid was probably looking awfully attractive at this point. <laughs> uh, no shade to TuneCore, uh, I love them as well. But uh, the the business models with a, a constant creator like yourself releasing a song a week awfully right. switches. But at the at the numbers you're doing, it it's a drop in the bucket. I understand. So, um. How did your model evolve? Because as you're saying, a year in this business is such a long time. I noticed you've gotten on TikTok now uh, and you've really ramped that up and you're no longer just uh, making just the music. I mean, you have videos now and you're doing TikToks and, and you're having success doing TikTok. I mean, you went from, I mean, you're at a half a million followers at this point and I saw, you know, your the video, um, the one that, that, I guess when viral was like you're adding the verse to Gail's uh, A B C D E F U song yeah. and, and made your own open verse challenge with when it wasn't necessarily available uh, from Gail herself. Um, and so, uh, talk about the process and like when did you really start to take TikTok seriously and 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 why? Yeah. So what happened is I started doing a song a week and I uh, again the 2.0 and I went okay we're gonna crush it. It's going to be awesome. Like we're going to come back. And as soon as we start releasing songs, all the creators are going to use it again. It's going to be great. I was so optimistic and that didn't happen at all. Like yeah. we started releasing and I quickly realized, holy crap, we lost a lot of our community mm -hmm. and a ton of viewership has gone from YouTube to TikTok. I started looking up statistics and it was like YouTube has lost, you know, 50% of its viewership to TikTok. So I was like, crap. So even if our music was still doing good on YouTube, it we're going to lose 50% of our viewership because right. our, the whole thing was built on YouTube. So mm -hmm. I went, okay, I really got to figure out how to get with TikTok. I need to figure out. And it's a more forward-facing platform. So mm -hmm. I started, I started just figuring out what I was comfortable doing. And I was like, well, I just love music-based stuff. Like I saw people doing dances and I was like, crap, I'm not going to be able to come up with a, with a dance or anything cool <laughs> right, like right. that. So yeah. I was like, I just, I've always been very aware that I need to stick to my strong suits. And, and really at first it was hard setting up the camera and everything. It was really annoying. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. like, this is not what I'm passionate about. This is not what I enjoy. Also TikTok's annoying in itself because you can post you can spend days and days and days on 15, 20 videos and, and they just, they tank, tank, tank. And you're just like, dude, I'm wasting my time out here. Um, but TikTok has this funny way of letting you get one viral one that basically it's like a drug. It like hooks you in and then you're like, ah, hunting for that next viral one forever. Yep. 
But again, I would just, I also watched what other creators were doing and what was working. And I'd go, okay, let me try my own spin on that. Like mm-hmm. Swaco doing the, the paralyzed song, you know? And I was like, okay, I get it. It's, I'm not going to do exactly when you show up to the studio, not looking like how you sound or whatever. I was like, but I get it. It's a skit. So do a skit first. That kind of gets people intro to what you're going to do. Act out the producer versus artist relationship and, and see what <laughs> happens. And yep. that's what happened with that Gail one. And also number one thing you can do on TikTok is use the sounds that are trending, use the effects that are trending. Um, because for whatever reason, like I said, I've made probably another 15 TikToks in the exact same style as the Gale one. And it's like nothing close, but because Gale, yeah. Gale's ABCDFU was going so viral at the time. However, TikTok's algorithm works, you know, her song plays in the beginning and it, 10 million views later, I'm like, Holy crap. I wish this was an original song. Cause that would yeah. be great. Well, no, and that was, I mean, it kind of is. You had uh, 1,700 videos that were created with your sound, uh, with your verse on it. Because, again, this is like, wh- whereas a lot of creators do their open verse challenges. I should say a lot of artists do their open verse challenges to their own song where they mute the vocals or they create a demo. And they're like, all right, add your stuff to it. Yeah. Gail didn't do that. So you actually had to create your own production uh, after, you know, you kind of like, made your own remix essentially you you took her song and then you cut it you made your own production and then you you added a verse is that kind of how you did it yeah i actually um i got the i just uh used lala.ai if you've ever heard of that and it like strips the voice from the beat so it was still oh, her beat <laughs> <laughs> so i just like there you did go. that i yeah you know i'm trying to figure out the the best way to get to 80% quality most of the time. And it's like, so I could have, I, you know, TikTok is one of those things where, okay. Uh, TikTok is one of those things where you, uh, I'm good for more time, by the way. I thought I would have to leave it 240, but my okay. leave the kids, um, <laughs> but TikTok is one of those things where you don't want to, you, you almost, you got to balance that like quality versus quantity the best you can. Like you don't want to do a ridiculous amount of quantity to where the algorithm's like, okay, 200 views on every video because it's just very low quality and, and a ton of quantity. But you also mm-hmm. don't want to spend so much time on a video that you release like one a month. It's super good, but you released it on a day where the TikTok algorithm's a, a little bit wonky and it just doesn't work out. Just didn't right. capture people like you hoped. So right. I very much got to the point where it's like, okay, I could reproduce the beat or I could just strip the acapella out and if, using this website and just rap over it, see what happens. And cool. Yeah, that happen. worked. And and I mean, it's cool. I mean, you've been experimenting with your style there. I mean, you'd have like the what if, you know, this artist yeah, yeah. did a, a song like what if Imagine Dragons made good for you by Olivia Rodrigo. And it's fun because you do the whole process. It's like, it's your own take on here's how I made this song in the studio, which a lot of people do. But your hook is I mean, that's something that everyone's like, yeah, I want to know what that's would sound like and you, you kind of yeah. you know like what if kid Leroy was a rock song and and they kind of right and and it's it's interesting it's really cool um have you found now you've gained a lot of followers from it um in a, a short amount of time um have you found that it translates to your own music as well even though your songs aren't the ones that are going viral or the ones that people are making videos to so that's another great thing about having such a large catalog of things for people to dive into sure. um Obviously, if the Gale one was an original, it would have translated probably a lot better. But we did see a massive spike in overall awareness numbers. And you know what was really cool was, like I said, the effects built this huge notoriety in the community and then kind of mm-hmm. disappeared for two years. It felt like 
this really, I saw a ton of comments where people were like, holy shit, I used to listen to you like all the time back in 2017, 2018. (laughs) (laughs) And so it brought a lot of awareness back to Nefex. Like, wait, you still do music? I'm like, oh my God, yes, I still do music every day. So that was cool, but it did. I did see traction from the super viral one. Mm. The smaller ones, it's a little bit harder. Like you said, it's more of a drop of water in a bucket. You're kind of sitting there like, I don't, I don't see it like I used to, but that's, sure. you know, NFX gets a lot of streams now and it's, it really, you really have to do something special to see like, oh shit, like that's the traction we're looking for. And that's really yeah. what I'm doing now. You know, I, I went through the phase where I'm like, dude, I just want an extra thousand streams. Cause that's X amount of dollars per month. And I'm just like yeah. desperate to get to this amount. I'm past that. And now it's like, we're swinging big, you know, we're trying to you know, how do we get something that goes like, like a sound that everyone's using across TikTok? Like, yeah. How do we get that? Um, yep. That would be the next step. That's the next level for, <clears throat> for NFX. A, a big thing too, that I think is important that, um, you know, Bryce is kind of a great case study for to here with, with the TikTok side of things is like, you know, like when we started doing NFX 2.0 and re-releasing the song a week, the strategy was kind of, let's do what we did before that worked and let's keep adding things here and there. And it's a very kind of like, linear build um but one thing that he does very well is he, he chunks stuff right so even if he's making a new compilation he'll go in take three or four weeks knock out the whole compilation and now it, it's cohesive and it's its own body of work and that's part of how we keep the music side fresh and unique because there definitely was some listener fatigue um during the first hundred songs where things kind of blended together but um the connection i would make is a lot of artists um newer artists they decided they kind of want to really take this thing seriously and they're kind of told constantly, there's so many different things that you can do on your own, right? TikTok, reels, mm-hmm. short, like there's so many different things, you know, um, drop snippets of your songs, like whatever. And I think sometimes, you know, it, it gets diluted and they're trying to focus on making sure that they have this Instagram content and this and that. Um, I kind of laugh about it. He literally came to me in Omid and was like, I'm like, am I in January? I'm going to figure out this TikTok thing. <laughs> we're kind of like, all right, cool. And you know, at this point, like, I know that if he's going to like put his head down and go do something, like it's probably going to work to an extent, which, you know, as a manager is a blessing and a half. So I was like, cool, go do it. Sure enough. What was it? Like January 6th or something, the Gale thing popped off. <laughs> yeah. He took like a week, but, um, wow. and I got lucky because I made, I made like 30 and that's the only one. It was like the third video I posted and I was like, oh, I'm going to go viral every week now. And yeah, right. Never <laughs> that's, what gonna, that's what I was going to say, though, is like, as great as the viral one was, the thing that was cooler to me was he said, here's a folder of 30 TikToks. Let, you know, like, let's roll them out. And, you know, he obviously figured out something that worked. But I think that's a really important um, distinction is like, yes, you know, a lot can happen in a year. But I feel like mm-hmm. time drifts by a lot of the times for artists because they're worried about making sure that their aesthetic on their feet is cool enough. They're getting their, you know they're getting their songs where they want them to be where at the end of the day it's you know one if you don't have an audience yet don't get too cute with your music necessarily because you need to kind of get a feel for like what people are responding to and same thing with content is rather than you know trying to be somewhat effective on you know six separate six or seven different mediums or platforms choose one thing really dive in and figure it out and i mean i think that's something even recently like you know this kid decided that he was going to become like the best mixing master and engineer he could possibly be. And he dug in for a couple of weeks and did it. And mm-hmm. we definitely got our money out of tune core support, making sure we got the file swapped out, but we, you know, we made that happen. And, um, you know, next thing you know, he's, I hate mixing Wait, and mastering. You, 
Wait. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this, this guy, yes. He went back in Worse. and remastered songs that were already out multiple times because he was that driven to be elite at it. And then on wow. top of that, like recently, it was like, hey, I'm going to fly this guy out from Florida to come in for a day to give me like a master class on Mexican Master. Nice. That is the level of like attention to detail and like, that's that like entrepreneurial just spirit that is like always present in mm -hmm. what we're doing, which obviously as a manager gives you huge confidence in your client. Um, yeah. But I think it's just really important for like, you know, any artist, like people could look, independent artists could look at NFX and be like, like NFX has made it, you know? Um, and I don't think we're ever going to feel that way because I think, you know, even if, if we do hit our goal of 10 million monthly listeners in the next couple of years, like we're going to want to hit 20 and keep it growing. But mm -hmm. um, I think there's a, I don't know, like an impatience or something there with wanting that next thing that has definitely, I think, led to this is, you know, it's, it's been five, you know, five-ish years now. And like, that's a good run, but that, you know, compared to a lot of people, like that's a pretty lengthy run, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and we hope that this is just the start of it. And I just, I think that that type of attitude with, Hey, let me take this and figure it out hundred percent. That has been a huge contributing factor. And um, to our success and something that I think a lot of people could kind of look at what Bryce did with that and take a lesson from it. That's great. And just to clarify, when you say you uh, essentially remastered uh, some of these uh, old, older songs, uh, you uh, redistributed the old version of the song. Uh, or I'm sorry, the new version, the new master of this old song, and you just kind of uh, with two, yeah, like you said, two core support the I same ISRC codes. You got it up there. It maintained all the streams and all the playlists and all that stuff. But you just replaced these old songs because you just wanted them to be a, a little bit stronger. Dude, yeah. So the, it was a <laughs> fucking nightmare because I I had I wasn't a mixing and mastering engineer. That's like what right. my buddy did. And I was just good at writing music, producing music. So yeah. I was like learning and, you know, you're hopping on ozone and you're just like fucking redlining the, the maximizer. And you're like, sweet, that's loud. And you throw <laughs> it up and, and you're, you're like, and you're like, dude, this shit's way louder than other people's. This is going to be sick. And then it goes on Spotify and you're like, I'm calling Ryan. Like, dude, what did you upload the wrong master? Why the fuck is yeah. it so quiet? What is going on? And so I was just reading article after, oh, Lutz, like, and so it's yeah. like, oh, okay, so like, let's make it negative 14. And then you're like, oh, this is quiet as fuck. What is going on? And then right. it's like, well, you know, they say negative 14, but really you want to be at negative six. And you're like, I'm going to fucking kill someone. So right. I just kept playing with it. And that was the thing is you didn't know how it sounded till it hit Spotify. And so yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay, upload and praying, praying, praying and and every once in a while it would sound good, but most of the time it was like, dude, why is it so much quieter? Or, you know, why does it, it you know, I, I way overdid it this time trying to get it loud enough. And so I'd hit them up each week and I'd be like, yo, so here's this week's song. Here's a new master for last week's song. Can we like right. tell TuneCore to like swap them? And so it was a grind, but through trial and error, right around halfway through compilation two, I felt like, okay, I can make my mm. songs Spotify loud now. But it took, I mean, I had to kind of burn 15 releases like it sucked but i'm surprised you I, didn't use one of these automated mastering services that are out there like a lander or an aria or something like that did you try those out and just didn't i like did them? i didn't like them i wasn't yeah. very impressed and there's you know you don't realize how much the mastering affects the sound like you can yes. really go from like your mixes like dude bass is hitting and then to master it to the right level they had to cut a lot of low end and and now all of a sudden you're like ah it's kind of sharp like what the yeah. fuck so i 
I spend a lot of time realizing, look, I don't want to spend all this time mixing, recording my vocal just to get to the master and they do it the right way. But I sit there and go, man, it's not how I want my music to sound. Yes. So I just, I was like, if I devote the same thing as the TikTok, I was like, if I devote myself to the next 12, 15 releases, I'm just going to mix and master them myself. Um, I think I could figure it out. And the other thing was, I, I hate, I hate sending music to anyone else because you never know how long they're going to take. You never know if they're deciding to go on vacation. I hate being re reliant on someone else to finish my song because of how fast I release. Sure. It's like a freaking headache. Like if I could, you know, handle every single process, I would, I can't, but as far as the making a song, mixing, mastering, I decided I want to do that all myself, artwork, stuff like that. Visualizers all outsourced. Can't mm -hmm. do all of it. But uh, the music and you were side. able to turn those around real quick. Who are you using for your uh, artwork that that gets it back to you within the week? Ryan found a guy. Yeah, nice. Well, we've we've <laughs> definitely. I mean, I, you know, no, like <laughs> that used to be the move. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'll tell you, like going going back to 2017, um, we've definitely churned and burned through quite a few creatives trying to kind of find our people that can like keep up with the turnarounds and stuff. Because I mean, right. it's definitely like it's rigorous, you know, we have high expectations and we also like, once, once a precedent has been set, like we've, you know, our biggest music video ever was shot for like 300 bucks, you know, wow. it was like very like, right. And like, um, you know, we've, Which one we've is seen, that? uh, fight back. Okay. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we've seen it done with low budget. We've seen it done with quick turnaround. We've seen it done mm -hmm. with a kid that's, you know, 19 years old and just a talented kid <laughs> with no technical experience, you know, whatever, um, Dude, so that's a, definitely, that, yeah, that's a really good point. Like our fight back video, 150 million views or whatever it's at, mm -hmm. like more than like as much as now. Yeah. 200 million, right. As much as label videos. And it was a kid with a DSLR and his buddy who was a boxer and some wow. good lighting and stuff. So it really, it's about recognizing talent, like looking yeah. at someone and being like, it's same thing with Ryan. Like Ryan, he became our manager because I recognized like, okay, he's not a music industry guy. Yep. Holy shit. He's so persistent and he could get into rooms and he, he, you know, delivers and talks in a certain way. And I just, he was, he just seemed like a manager and I was like, okay. Um, so a lot of business, <laughs> a lot of energy fun. back then. He'll <laughs> <A lot of laughs> do Yeah. But, um, yeah, a lot of it is recognizing talent and just being like, wait, this, this kid is something special. And mm -hmm. we've done that with music videos and all sorts of things where it doesn't, Incredible. you don't need a huge amount of budget or things like that. You just need a good team. That's actually one good point real quick. Since this is a music business podcast that like mm -hmm. any, any managers, artists that are like getting stuff going. So we have the ability to, you know, create room for budget. Now, if we want to do that for big music videos, if you really think about it, in the last five, six years, there's probably not many music videos that because the video, like, because you saw that video itself, the song resonated with you so much that you streamed it over and over again. Right. We, we tried, we even, so we tried at one point to do a, a video a week and like we made it nine weeks before oh we like killed ourselves. Yeah. And so we had like a 3 a.m. a 3 a.m. morning shoot, <laughs> uh, like on Hollywood Boulevard and it almost got like sprayed by the power washers and we're like, we're done. Um, yeah. but, um, <laughs> I'll never no, do but, that. but um you know what we've learned is can a music video you know have power and influence to drive absolutely um but at this point for us at least we will shoot probably one video per compilation we do small budgets come up with a concept that's fun engaging high energy but we don't do it with any intent for it to move the needle on streams that honestly is is to just kind of give the fans 
uh, a look at being like, hey, like for hands, like, hey, here I am. This, you know, kind yeah. of like frames the vibe of the compilation. But I, I genuinely believe that music, that spending gross amounts of money on music videos early on is one of the biggest wastes that people yeah. can make. Well, you know? well, that's a, that's another good point to touch on the failing fast because what had happened was we released uh, our first ever music video, Fight Back, and it was the best song we ever had. And to the date it is. So we yep. assumed like, oh, music video plus our songs equals massive like success. So let's do sure. a music video a week. We're going to crush this. And we started doing it. And quickly we, we failed fast. It was like seven, eight weeks in. We didn't see a crazy increase in streams. We were freaking so tired. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Constantly yeah. trying to go places, memorize lyrics. So we just quickly realized, oh, shit, that was not this is not the move like it looked yeah. like it was and that's just a testament to trial and error you do something and it worked you do it five more times on tiktok and it might not work anymore maybe it yeah. was just a pocket but you you know you learn and you fail and you you keep trying again well and that's where we're at right now is just like even the videos on tiktok i mean yours are much uh quote unquote uh, higher produced videos than most people on tiktok uh where uh they're having a lot of success where they can do it in 20 minutes in their bedroom on TikTok and it goes viral and does far more than a $50,000 music video would ever do for their song. And that's what it's at. It's like whatever the entrance point is uh, for somebody discovering the music, that's all it takes. Now, I do understand and, and um, that music videos are for the fan that just helps tell the artist's story. So when somebody becomes a fan of the artist... They want to dig deeper. They want to connect deeper. And there are various ways you can tell your story as an artist. And and uh, music videos can be one of those ways. Uh, you know, your Instagram can be another one of those ways. Uh, but speaking of the fans, we haven't really touched on fans at all yet. And I know we're kind of at the end of our time, but I do want to I do want to uh, touch on that just a little bit. Uh, are you touring? Um, how do you engage and connect with your fans? What do you find? Uh, that these aren't just, because uh, you said you're not really on any official uh, editorial playlist. That's not where all these streams came from. Um, but what, who are these fans and have and how are you engaging with them and connecting with them? And what's kind of the next phase of Netflix? Yeah, so, um, okay, super quick, because you, you, you made me think of it. Oliver Tree, really amazing music video guy, right? So my thing is, if you're passionate about something, do it. If you're one of those artists that's really good with videography and you love it, then yeah. mix that in with your music and you'll have success. I just sure. never was as passionate about it. I've had to try to get myself into it. Um, but as far as fans, um, one thing is they're global. They're all around the world. They're yeah. some of my favorite people in the world. They are, I've never seen fans that are so nice. Like every comment is positive. Like, I think I created a very positive community although maybe some of them are depressed and trying to get out of things hmm. they listen to the music because they like the positive messages in there they love the motivation the inspiration and stuff not every single song has that i like to make moody stuff too but a lot of nefex songs have a good inspirational motivational message so when i post stuff they're always very kind very supportive very nice um even my wife she'll post something and then effects fans like hound her with just like positive hmm. comments and i'm like this is amazing most I feel like a lot of artist communities have, there's a lot of negativity or they talk shit or there's like mm -hmm. this and that. And I do think that causes virality, which is a different story, but I do, my fans are so positive, so good that I made it 
one of my goals when 2022 started, I was like, I want to engage, interact and enjoy these fans so much more. Um, So as my fans know, I react to every single comment I can on YouTube and there will be 3000 comments under an effects video and you'll see almost all of them are liked because I go through and I like every single one because I just love reading the comments and stuff like that. But I recently started live streaming and doing things on uh, as as Bryce Savage, just, hey, come get to know me, come hang out with me. Nefex is such a, it's such a big channel that it's like, it's almost like a business at this point where mm-hmm. only copyright free music goes there. It's organized, you know what you're going to get. So I wanted to maintain that, but then give people a chance to come check out my personal life, what I do. I game, I sit there, I talk to them. Uh, sometimes my wife hops on in the background. It's just fun. like get to know me, get to hang out with me for those people who have been there since day one and just want to talk to me and hang out. Um, so Where are I started you doing this stuff. on YouTube live or Twitch? Uh, YouTube live. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I've heard that. I don't know. I think YouTube's a really stable platform. I've heard great. a lot of people might come over from Twitch and you know, YouTube might be the next big thing. And like I said, I take chunks. So it's like, all right, let's just start on YouTube. If it's really fun, I'll do a dual cast or something like that. But, um, and then, yeah. And like you said, I just have been focusing on making some more forward facing content. What if this person did this and let me put my personality in there a little bit. And then when Mm -hmm. people comment things, questions, I try to answer them now. And we just did a video the other day where we had a bunch of people ask questions. And then I just sat, played video games and just read them off a computer and would answer. And just, I'm trying to just engage and interact with them more because it's been years of just pumping out music and, like you said, music videos can tell a story, but I think my lyrics literally told the story of what I was going through. Mm. Um, not every single song, but a lot of the motivational ones fight back <clears> and the way I felt about things are going to get better and the way I felt about how the world views artists and artistry and how badly I wanted to just be a full-time artist. Um, yeah. I think that's how people know the story. And now it's fun to just talk to them, like you said, day to day. But the fans are the best. Have yeah. you? He's, uh, he's always... Go I was just saying, he, he, he's always done a great job of, of engaging with our fans. It, it's obviously like it's a total cult fan base. And, you know, we got to we got to meet a lot of the fans in Europe on that tour that we like were oh, familiar with from online, which was the coolest thing. And, you know, we like I remember in Munich, it's like 800 people in the venue. And, wow. you know, we would say after do meet and greets with whoever and we came out and everyone was still there. And wow. we did yeah. we did four hour meet and greets. We got kicked out wow. of the venue a few times. You know, we had to like finish up on the street. But like that was, was just tour. That, um, this was right before COVID end of 2019. Oh, okay. Um, so we're definitely, we're planning to go back. We'll be going okay. back to Europe soon and then kind of getting things going in the U S and hopefully kind of getting back into that, that touring cycle of things. But, um, cool. you know, that like, he's always done a very good job of continuing to like evolve how he interacts with the fans. And then I think the big kind of more macro move for us right now too, is, uh, we're gonna be launching a discord soon. Um, you know, we, we've mm-hmm. used community, we've used, um, these email lists and done a lot over the years to be collaborative and interact and, and give them opportunities for their voices to be heard, but nothing like discord where they could all really kind of build the community together. And the craziest, the craziest thing for us to watch, I think has been it, last time I counted, there's over 500 Nefex fan uh, pages on Instagram and wow. the extent to which those people engage with each other. Um, I've, I've been, um, I've been uh, looped into a couple of the fan messages before and seen it. it, it it's, it's something like you've never seen. And, and the, what's so rare about it, at least to our viewpoint, is it's so positive. And yeah. one person, like, like this poor, 
one of the most notable in the fact fan accounts the other day for the first time was like, this is not my favorite song that's ever come out. And everyone just was going off and be like, <laughs> like, like no hate towards the effects shall stand, you know? Um, so, <laughs> that's amazing. You know, it's, I, I think as much as we evolve with stuff like, like the Discord's a great initiative, you know, we're launching other initiatives that are going to be more kind of forward facing for the global community, but the personal touch from the artist, like what Bryce does, I, you got to do it. You know, yeah, like yeah. no matter how elusive you want to be, like if, if you want to build a cult fan base, they have to know that you're there and that you give a shit. No, your fans, your, your, your fans mean everything. Uh, that's the reason I get to eat and put food on the table and live. And so I don't understand artists who don't give a shit about their fan. They, they must've just been gifted fans. They don't understand what it takes to really build and grow a fan base if they mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, whatever. But, um, that is something that I've always said is like, if you ever see someone in the street and they're wearing a piece of effects gear and you're an effects fan, go say hi. I bet you they're a really fucking nice person <laughs> and that they would gr gr like greet you with open arms. And, and just like the communities you're talking about, Ryan, it's like when you watch their conversations, you're like, man, these are just the best people. Uh, and not, yeah, not trying to. Yeah. Hope that doesn't sound braggadocious. I just love the fans. They're so great. No, it's man. great. They're I mean, it, you know, fans say a lot about the artists. Uh, that's why, you know, uh, venues know uh, what kind of uh, like uh, clientele are coming when they book certain kinds of shows and, and fans uh, represent the artists. And so that's um, I mean, that's really, really nice to to hear. And, and I'm sure it's nice to feel and to see from your perspective. And, and it says a lot. Uh, about kind of your character and uh, the kind of um, community that you're you're cultivating here. Uh, I, I want to uh, we're we're out of time, and I, this has been so fascinating. It just flew by, and and I appreciate you you sticking around. And and we didn't even get to talk about how you have enough time uh, <laughs> to do it. The time management was like number one on my like questions <laughs> here. So it's just like I gotta ask how he manages time. But we're we're getting the next time. Um, I have one final question that I I uh, ask everyone who comes on the show, and I want you each to answer it uh, individually. Um, and uh, Ryan, let's start with you. Um, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? What I would say is if you can find a project or projects to work on that you're passionate about, can do it full time and live off of it. And to where you're both, you know, content and stimulated by running your own race, you've made it. And I, I say that because, um, you know, obviously like that first component is huge. And that's the big hurdle for people is like, you know, what am I passionate about? And then can I, can I do this full time? Can I do this for a living? Um, but then it's so easy to, especially if you live in LA and you're going to events and you're interacting with all these people, every conversation you have, people are throwing things out there. I'm doing this. And like my artists are doing that. And like all these things and Nefex has definitely been, I think the definition of an artist that runs its own race. Um, mm -hmm. Bryce has been when you talk about music business, Bryce has been very good at maintaining a business mindset and not getting sucked into so many components of the industry that we might waste bandwidth on because we want to pull a cool look opposed to what's going to drive growth and, and you know, more deep than that, drive the mission of continuing to motivate and inspire people with the music. And right. so for me, even as a manager, like, you know, um, it's so funny because I run into a lot of people that have never heard an effects and <laughs> they're gallivanting around, you know, singing their artist praises to the heavens and back, which is like a new little buzzy project because a couple of TikToks popped off. And I love that for them. And sure. I have no problem with that because I'm so incredibly stoked on what I get to work on and what we're building. And 
Um, so to me, that's been, I think the biggest thing is like, obviously there's that hurdle of make of like literally making it where you're working in music, hopefully on a project you like, and you can live off of it. But I think actually making it is being super content and stoked about your own race. I can't wait for what the future of NFX holds. And I know that this guy is going to absolutely push me to my furthest limits to make sure that we get where we need to go. And I'm going to do the same shit back to him. So, um, that, that's what that is to me. I love it. I love it. Bryce, what do you, how about you? What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Dude, this has changed throughout the years so many times. And you know, when you're a kid, you're like, dude, if I'm on a stage and there's fucking people out there listening to me, I've made it. Like that's the dream. The dream was always to be on a stage performing live, like a rock star in front of people. Um, but then quickly it changed to, I just want to make enough money so I can quit my job. Like that would be the dream, right? So Ryan mm-hmm. put it great. I mean, if you're doing what you love, I get to work on music every single day, full time. That's, that's the new made it to me. I mean, mm. you have to, you have to be happy with what you have, but also striving for something greater. So for me, I'm absolutely content. I am so happy. I love what I've built, but there are parts of me who would love to have the traditional artist accolades. I want to hear my song on the radio at some point, like the real radio, whatever you want to call that, the Kiss FMs or the K-Rocks, not Pandora. Um, and another one is a gold record or a platinum record. Like I, I just want those things. You know, I grew up idolizing those things and being like, man, if I can hang up a gold record and stuff like that. But in so many ways, I've always said, in life, my greatest philosophy is you could you could be living in a cardboard box or a mansion. The most important thing is that whatever you're doing, you're happy. You found your happiness because then you've won. There's so many people who have boatloads of money or hit records and they're still sad. They're still looking for something. Um, that's not what you want to, you know, they, mm-hmm. they didn't hit it yet. You know, um, you could be someone who's just living in your apartment playing video games and, and you're good with that. You're just happy. You're content and you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, you're living your best life. That's fine. Like, do what makes you happy. Don't listen to what other people are telling you makes you happy because people will tell you, you know, being an Instagram model would make you happy. Being a, a full-time, <laughs> you know, this would make you happy. It's like, that's not necessarily true for you. You have to find what makes you happy. And I was always very aware that if I could make music full-time, that would make me happy. One last thing is, um, like you said, the, art, the, the fans are a direct reflection of the artist. And I genuinely think I made it when I look at them and I go, holy shit, like this is... I can die knowing that I changed people's lives. Like there are people who say, you helped me recover from this. You helped me. And I'm like, you know, I can sit there and go cold record and things that would make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. That should make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. And it does. And I've worked hard to see that and go, holy shit. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I'm changing people's lives. Mm -hmm. That's more important than any plaque record, you know, any accolade, Grammy, that's amazing. I even if I've changed one person's life and they listened and they just went, dude, I'm a better person now because of it. Or you saved me from, you know, I was going off the deep end. It's like, oh, what, what else are we doing this for? Like, why mm-hmm. wouldn't you do it for that reason? So that's the the coolest thing. Amazing, Bryce Ryan. Thank you guys so much. This is uh, this is very fascinating, uh, very enlightening. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate you. Bye.
episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. 